Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm Susanna Mars, and today I have a wonderful guest across from me, Keisha Jarrett, who's the Audience Development and Marketing Director at Artist Repertory Theater, where I'm a resident. And I was recently working in Los Angeles, and I met a wonderful guy named Eric. And he asked me, what's it like to be a person of color moving to Portland? And I thought, gosh, I wish I knew, but I actually know someone who might be able to answer that question. And so I brought Keisha in, and I wanted to introduce you, Keisha, to my friend Eric. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for the introduction, uh, uh, Suzanne. I appreciate that. Yeah, super fun. Um, so we did have a nice conversation, I will say, um, just about my sort of ambitions or at least just considerations when it comes to Portland. Um, I have traveled to the area a few times over uh, you know, the last probably eight or nine years, and I'm sure you guys are undergoing some changes with a lot of people moving there. Uh, it's becoming a really popular destination. So at this point, being in Los Angeles is fantastic, and I love the city. However, I'm looking you know, at exploring other options in other cities, and Portland because it is, you know, in the West, it's a place that is of interest. Also, because from what I've experienced, it seems like a very open-minded, sort of liberal and progressive uh, city to live in. And those things are really important to me. But I'm just curious, from the perspective of someone who is uh, of color, if you will, that lives there, what is your take on the city? What is your point of view and your perspective um, as a resident there? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um I moved to Portland. I've been here for two years, um, actually this month. Um, uh, and I first came to Portland about five years ago and, um, just for a visit and saw a show actually at the theater I work at. And, um, I kind of fell in love with the city in that way. It's very, um, romanticized. I think it has changed a lot in terms of, you know, when I first started coming here, it was like, oh, people really are like working part-time in a coffee shop like three times a week and then that's all they're doing. Like it, it felt like it was very much stuck in the nineties in that way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so that's changed. That's not, that's not true anymore, but there, I think it's, it's interesting. The, the question I got most, uh, I got asked the most when I moved here was, um, uh, why as a person of color would I want to move here? Because there's so few people mm -hmm. of color and, um, while it's not, it's not like living in LA or in New York, um, that's mm -hmm. true, but they're definitely yeah. communities of color that are here, that exist, that produce art. Um, uh, and, and I think that it's a little bit, um, it gets into a little bit of your of your own comfortability pocket of of your own community of people not being able to sort of see outside of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're just like any other large city. There are those those centers of gentrification. So particularly as it applies to North Portland, um, further in Southeast Portland, um, the historically black communities, at least. Um, have been pushed further, further out. Um, but 
There are a number of organizations here that are pushing for um, communities of color to make art. Um, and in me being both working for a theater and an artist and myself, that was a huge component um, of me wanting to be here. Uh, the Red Door Project um, does the August Wilson monologues. Um, they have a number of students that they bring through that are all um, people of color. Um, or a large portion of them are people of color. Uh, there is Open Signal, and they just started up their uh, Black Filmmaker Fellowship. Um, uh, fellows, yeah, fellowship, and um, that is a year-long sort of fellowship and mentorship program where um, it's all Black filmmakers that are about low to midway through their career of um, a learning different facets of being a cinematographer and director so that they can actually go forward and and work within the film industry as it comes to Portland. Um, and that's done through like Open Signal and through like the Oregon Film Office. Um, so there are many things that are happening. And then especially like mm -hmm. th there's always, of course, I think at least in the past, I would say four years, there's been a big push for EDI initiatives as well. So um, I think in any place you'll see the 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 marker of people of color that uh, that come into the city um, uh, growing exponentially. Um, another sort of organization that I found right when I first moved here was um, uh, essentially partners in diversity and they throw this event that's called say hey and it happens quarterly but essentially somebody can nominate uh any person of color that's new to portland so they they're relatively new to portland and um you just go in you get like a goodie bag essentially but you get to meet this huge community made up of people of color that live and exist in Portland. And the last one had 1,200 people. So it's wow. really nice. Like, and this has been my 15th city I think I lived in. And so that, this is the first time I've ever moved into a town and had something that was like, hey, here's this massive sort of resource community for you. Um, yeah. And I think because it does stem from you know, the way that Oregon was founded in terms of it it didn't it didn't allow slavery, but it also didn't allow black people to live here. That like, you know, it did mm -hmm. formulate itself into what could be considered the whitest city in America. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. but I think because of that, it's forced itself into into making sure that anybody that is a person of color that's coming into the community, um, that's able to find those those facets um, is able to reach them and, and, and sort of be welcomed in that way. At least that's been yeah. my particular experience. Got it. So the artistic side is the art, the art and I guess for art, this is basically kind of a, a haven of sorts, if you will, um, and a place that you can find the support if you're looking for that in that community. Um, it sounds like what you're saying, which is good. Um, yeah. But just from a, you know, I am a singer-songwriter as well, but I do have a standard, regular day job. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and you know, it it takes up an awful lot of my time. So, mm -hmm. um, songwriting thing is something I do at this point as a secondary sort of creative outlet. Um, but from a social circle standpoint, like I've grown up in areas where they've always been really diverse, and I've been around all kinds of people. So, mm -hmm. I don't have any issue integrating into different, you know, communities. Um, but I had been seeing things on the news, you know, with these marches that have happened up there. Um, and there's been a lot of, 
you know, folks that are protesting against such things. But it seems kind of odd for me to even have to bring up such a, a question in this day and age. But nonetheless, that's where we are. Um, but it is at times concerning when you're thinking about moving to a place and there are these groups that sort of, you know, descend on this community and they sort of serve as disruptors with information that I think can make people feel unwelcome. Um, so that's really this perspective that I'm coming from. How big a concern is that? Is there enough pushback to where it's, it's safe to be in that city, you know, and, and pursue your, your passions? Right. So um, I think there's a couple of couple of things to unpack from, from that, which is one, I, um, uh, as a black female, I, there's, there's certain aspects of, of being a black male that I, you know, I can't, I can't actually identify with in terms yeah. of, of, um, all, all of that mean of what that means. Yeah. Um, and so there's some things that, that I think are outliers, uh, for me to answer mm-hmm. for that, but, you know, I I moved here from Charlottesville, Virginia, and yeah. I actually uh, had been here for a year when um, the protest in Charlottesville happened, and so it's that thing. And and where uh, Heather was killed was actually a block away from my apartment building, and like I like my balcony, like you can oversee it, and so it's very. Um, that resonated with me so much. And, uh, the, the fact is, is that it doesn't matter where, where, where we are. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter yeah. where we live. It's, it's, it's all, it's ever present. Um, sure. it's not something though that I have experienced in terms of living here that I've had to face any, um, adversity in that mm-hmm. manner like to my face um while right. I've been here I haven't I haven't had I haven't had that mm. um yeah. in 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 most respects what I actually find to be true of Portland is that um there there are white allies that are so um excited <laughs> about <laughs> trying to be an ally <laughs> that um yeah. uh, it gets a little bit overzealous in terms of like um <laughs> of uh what are we marching for what are we protesting what's next what's happening like and then it's like oh, oh okay thank you like yeah. that's good like you you can do that i'm fine um I, my, me existing is my own personal protest uh uh so that's more of what i find to be true here that yeah. there's a little bit of a of a um of a every weekend there's somebody that's on some sort of crusade and um uh there is something that you could join if you would like if you would like to uh, but um uh but for the most part it's not it you know it hasn't been something that's been like a um I'm going to call you a derogatory name or as somebody that grew up in the South, like seeing Confederate flags everywhere, like that kind of thing. I've, I've, I've experienced, I've seen a Confederate flag once in my two years here. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot considering that, you know, I fly back home and I visit my parents and it's like up in their neighbor's yard. So like, that's a, that's a, that's a big difference. Definitely. That's what makes sense. Okay, yeah, I mean, I don't, again, I, from what I have experienced, and it was a while ago uh, since I've last been, um, and I do have friends that live there. Um, so I will be paying a visit to the city very soon. 
um, hopefully over the next uh, six months or so. Um, we'll have to have you come do it, some music for heaven. Yeah. Have, have you do some music at Artist Rep. It'd be fun. Yeah. It'd be fun. Um, I'm kind of curious so as, you, as from an artist's perspective, yeah. do you guys in your work feel that you have to translate your personal experience in order to make your art if you are going to have, depending on who your audience is? Is that a thing? Hmm, it's really not for me personally. If I'm making music, you know, the the genre of music that I make is pretty sort of mainstream at this point, you know. So I started off making a lot of, you know, underground dance records. You know, house music is what they called it, which originated in Chicago and Detroit, and uh, it's a derivative of disco, right? Mm-hmm. So disco was this all-inclusive movement, obviously, um, and it didn't necessarily have the most substantive you know, lyrical content, but it was about having a good time and enjoying yourself and bringing people together. Um, so house music is sort of an offshoot of that. And that's the genre of music that I typically dabble in. Um, mm. And your experiences, I guess, from a lyrical content standpoint, they don't always, you know, reveal themselves in those kind of songs. Um, but I do have a repertoire of material that definitely is more personal. And uh, it does connect uh, to these moments in my life that have been, you know, sort of uh, eye-opening and significant, and hopefully people can relate to those things as well. Uh, we all share these experiences. I think there's a lot of commonality amongst people. So uh, from an artistic standpoint, I think it's, it works both ways. I don't purposely try and do that, um, but sometimes you're in a mood or a frame of mind to where there's something that's heavy on your heart or your soul, and you let that pour out, and that's going to be uh, this connective moment, I think, that's uh, rooted in something a little more substantial, and uh, and people can relate to that. Um, you know, so as an artist, I think it's always uh, with you, depending on what your frame of mind is. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I would, I totally agree. Somebody recently asked that, I was on a panel, and somebody asked that question um, in regards to the storytelling that I do, and I I, mm-hmm. I think that um, the the more open and honest that you are about yourself that allows yeah. people to have that connectivity to you. Um, uh, it doesn't matter like your, your, your race or, or your gender identity or whatever, you, what makes you, you and different um, uh, is the thing that um, can draw people in and they can pinpoint those identifying markers of like, Oh yeah, like that's happened to me. Or I know somebody that that's happened to, or like, that that piece of being an artist that wants you to like get in people's craw and make them feel something, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, just exists. And so I think as long as the audience is there to be open and receptive to you, like there's nothing that I've really held back about myself or my identity in regards to that. It was interesting because the the person I was listening to was talking about in writing how they've been asked in different workshops to italicize words that their reader may not know that's based on their mm. cultural identity, like a, a an Indian food name or something like that. Oh, okay. And I thought it was really yeah. interesting that in asking a a person of another culture to italicize words that wouldn't be understood. First of all, you don't even know who's reading it. Some people will understand and some people won't. So again, mm-hmm. it comes back to this question that I, I've been thinking about, and I know we've talked about in the past, Keisha, mm-hmm. which is people taking responsibility when you don't know something, figure it out. So like, yeah. I don't need italics. I just need to know, oh, I don't know what that food is. I will Google it or, you know... And it's like unwinding yeah. that responsibility from 
people who are sharing an experience that we're not all cognizant of, unwinding the responsibility and leaving it to the listener or the viewer or the reader. Right. I mean, well, it's it's about shifting the default, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's saying that the default is not the white narrative or mm-hmm. not the white male narrative. Or listener. De- exactly. So like that is something that is uh, then anybody, no matter who the narrator is, that is their default. And mm-hmm. so whoever is receptive or listening or reading um, – watching needs to then move to that narrative Mm -hmm. um just as we met people of color have done for many centuries like moving to the other narrative so it's just that i think at this point in time we're getting into uh a situation where there are more stories of 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 people of color they're more um uh, that are more prevalent, that are people yeah. people are being moved by um, artists of color that people are identifying more with. Um, and so I think that that's that that's that default shift mm-hmm. um, that's mm-hmm. coming. you know we we're, we're, we're talking yeah. before we you called in, Eric, about EDI mm-hmm. and different organizations in our city and organizations all over the country about everyone is, you're talking about this, but which cities, you know, there's this chasm between training and being mm. and becoming. And how do you think L.A. is doing in that regard? Well, um, you know, there are organizations here that are definitely, um, you know, committed to that cause. Um, you know, there's an organization that I'm aware of, uh, you know, the sag After Foundation, for instance, for performers that are interested in, in acting uh, and whether it's voice acting or on, on camera and theatrical, et cetera. Um, so it's an organization that's there and to really help prepare actors for careers in the field, you know, and whatever genre they find most, you know, comfortable or interesting to them, there are programs that they have in place that can help those, you know, actors seek these professional opportunities and gain more training, more understanding and insight to the industry and how it works and how they can make it work for them. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a large organization with a ton of different programs. Um, and uh, it's something that if you are, an equity actor or you're a union actor, it's a great resource for people to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, are so they doing encourage. a lot for people of color as well? I mean, is it a separate world or is it all one big, you know, universe? Yeah, it's, it actually, it's, it's kind of, it, it's not as if there are specific types of programs that are committed to any one particular, you know, group of people culturally or otherwise. Um, I think it's kind of everyone is in the same, the same mix. Um, but I do think that, as an organization, they're, they've done things for uh, folks that are bilingual, for instance, or uh, you know, uh, first uh, language Spanish speakers, or uh, folks like that. I mean, it just depends. Um, but I don't think it's something that happens all the time. But they do have these options available to people occasionally, mm-hmm. which is encouraging. Um, and I think the more that there's a level of interest in that, um, the more those kind of groups. Um, are willing and open to help um, fortify their programming to meet the needs of those communities. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, you... LA is a great place. Go ahead. Sorry, oh, no, go you ahead. go ahead. Do you have another question for Keish? Yeah, I was going to so from, I guess from a, you know, being in Portland, because I'm obsessed at this point with the city. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you love about it? And what, what, what attracted you to it? What do you find most appealing about it? Why, why is this, 
Did you come home for you? Uh, uh, Susanna just pointed to herself as if if she was the answer. And I was like, yes. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, I, uh, like I said, I came to Portland about five years ago for like an arts marketing conference. And I actually saw a show at Artist Repertory Theater and um, fell in love with the show. And then... um, they were also doing a Stephen Adlergurgis play in the same season that the theater I was working for was doing one. And so I was like, oh, great. Like, we have the same sensibility. This I really like this place. And then flew back across the country. Um, but it always kind of stayed in the back of my mind. I have friends that I met when I was living in San Diego that moved um, to Portland. And so every year I would come out and visit them and just kind of fell more in, in like with the, with the city. And, um, I had never lived in the Pacific Northwest, so I just packed up my stuff and started driving. Uh, and I got about halfway across the country. So I'd had no job, got halfway across the country and, um, a, remembered the theater. And so I looked on the website and there was a job posting and I put in my resume and I got to San Francisco and, um, was driving up to Portland and, um, a, got called in for an interview. And then three weeks later, I had a job. Um, And then kind of like, and I was living with my friends. They were, uh, was lucky enough that they let me live with them until I found a place. And then kind of three weeks after that, I found an apartment. So I feel like a little bit of a magical unicorn of like coming here and I didn't have a job nor a place to live. And it all worked out within a relatively (laughs) short amount of time. Um, But the thing that has kept me here um, because, you know, usually around year two, I'm, I'm starting to get the wanderlust itch a little bit and I, and I haven't gotten that yet. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, there is an excellent work-life balance here that I feel like that has been almost forced on, on me. And um, that's good for me because I am, I am a, a self-identified workaholic. Um, and I, and I, I still am, but it's, it's a little bit more of like making sure that I take care of myself. And for me, that taking care of myself has just been that I'm allowed to do my own projects. Um, and, and so I've been able to fulfill some of my creative needs by what I do at work and, um, uh, through artist rep, but then to also know that, you know, it's okay to leave work at five or it's okay to leave work at six <laughs> and, and then to go home or go to a coffee shop or go to the bar and be able to like do my own stuff, which is right. Or, um, you know, or play music or whatever it do is. Do your storytelling. Do my storytelling. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's that yeah. it's, it's afforded me that luxury of which, um, I think I think as we as human beings in, in America uh, have like we we I think we're cognizant of, but we don't often take them. Or in the jobs that we kind of lead, we're led to believe that like no, an email comes in at like eleven o'clock. It's like life or death, and none of or at least I'm not like a neurosurgeon. You know what I mean? Like it's not not nothing that I that I can answer in an email at twelve thirty at night can't be answered the next morning at nine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so that was a that was a difficult lesson for me to learn, but it's been super healthy mm-hmm. for me. And I feel like I was unhealthy before living here. And um, and so for for me, like that's a huge component. And then just being outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because when I'm like in LA, it's a hard city to get your arms around, you know, and I grew up there and 
Portland seems like a city you can get your arms around. And as a, you know, I do a lot of things as an artist and all of them kind of spill over. But when I, you know, working with you at Artist Rep, Keisha, Mm -hmm. I think about um, the idea that, you know, your work there is your art. You are constantly merging your artistic beliefs, your your, um, morals, Mm -hmm. your, your personal love of art making into your work. And I've thought about this for myself. It's like your life is your art. You know, everyone's like the work-life balance. It's, they're really one if you're, you can make it, your art is your life. Your life is your art. Yeah, they. I think they bit off more than they can chew when they offered me a job there because like it <laughs> definitely has become like, I'm just like, and then I'll do this and then this is how we'll do this. And uh, so in that way, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that. But yeah, it's been a lot of um, just changing the mindset of like, I don't have to dislike my, I don't have to dislike my job uh, and I don't have to regulate like, my own fun or personal or creative time mm-hmm. to like two hours over the weekend. It can actually be spread um, throughout the entirety of the week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Nice. Okay, I have a funny couple questions to ask you guys both, and then we'll have to wrap it up. Um, that is, if you could live in any era, which would you choose? Oh, oh boy. Wow. Oh, yeah. I want to let you have that one first. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, uh, I think if we can, like, if we're if we're ignoring history, is that what we're doing? Uh, let's ignore it. Okay, great. So um, I would say uh, I'd, I'd probably live in, like, the jazz era. So, like, you know, there's mm-hmm. something about, there's something about, like, that, that sort of great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, you know, Count Basie, like Josephine Stewart, extravaganza. Like I, mm. I, I love all of it. I love the spectacle and the opulence and and um, and the really the art that sort of came out of that classic Harlem Renaissance and the literature mm. that came out of that time period. Um, uh. It's pretty special, and it isn't just localized to the U.S. either. Like, if you look at France and you look at um, uh, some stuff that was actually coming out of Ireland as well, like, at the time, um, uh, it's a pretty special, like, time period. Mm-hmm. Nice. Hmm. So this is past or present? Sure. <laughs> uh, so being I'm, – I'm pretty much an optimist, right? So um, Keisha touched on, you know, that time period, the Harlem Renaissance, that period, so to speak. Um, I think that was a fantastic time, right? No doubt about it. But I'm looking ahead. So I'm thinking, you know, 60 to 100 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be an era that I'd like to, to live in and explore. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the developments, technology we've had, and sort of the reshaping of our planet to some extent, I'm curious to see – how life is going to be once we actually figure out a way to leave this rock, if you will, mm-hmm. and find a way to another place um, and start to sort of, you know, I guess spread the human uh, diaspora across the universe. I'm mm-hmm. curious to see what that's going to be like. I think it's going to happen, actually. Um, and I'm really interested in, in what that would look like. So yeah. I think I'd like to, to fast forward a bit. How right was Star Trek? Like, that's the... Yeah. <laughs> Gene right. Roddenberry is circling the planet as we speak. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at iPhones, that's that's essentially what they were using exactly. in Star Trek. Yeah. So, 
Okay, so second question. What was an art event throughout your life that really impacted you? An event you attended, a a painting you saw, a book you read, anything that really shaped your view of art or just hit you hard? You were just reaching deep. I'm going going down. Nice nice question, though. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I answered the last one first. (laughs) Okay, so it's my turn. Yes. Um, so for me, um, it wasn't too long ago, actually. Um, you know, there's um, there was an art exhibit. I was in. Uh, let me backtrack. I was in New York City because my brother was graduating from law school at uh, at NYU. So one of my high school friends and I decided to go out and you know celebrate that you know for my brother and also sort of explore the city for about four or five days. Um, I had been a big fan of the pop art movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that brought, you know, um, and those great artists, that, in my opinion, they came out of that, that era. Um, and, um, Mr. Basquiat, mm-hmm. there's an exhibit of his at the Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn Museum. Art Museum. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured wouldn't it be wonderful to go to that exhibit in the city that sort of, you know, was responsible for giving birth to this, this movement. Um, and I decided to go to that exhibit and, uh, that was life changing. Um, I had been a fan of his work prior to that, but seeing those pieces up close and personal was a very different moving experience for me. Um, I really felt viscerally that, wow, I'm connected to this, to this creation of these creations that this, um, this great artist was able to, to share with the world. And it got me into studying more about, you know, his process and, you know, these moments in his life that sort of shaped his artistic vision. And it's always interesting when you can dig into an artist's history to a degree and find these connective points again, there's that word connectivity, that led them on these paths of immense creativity and production. Um, he was a prolific artist and uh, that definitely, you know, changed my, my perspective and point of view quite a bit. Mm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I, you know, I, I'd said I, I wanted to be an actor. Um, uh, and from me being a kid, like I was obsessed with like Jim Henson and the Muppets. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, I got an internship when I was in college and, um, um, so I got to do like, uh, go to the Muppet workshop and like, see how you make them and like work on them and like, see how I actually operate them with the camera and, 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 um, watching kids being able to come in and you do like your little puppet show, like at the end, um, and just seeing their faces and just how much they were, um, engrossed in that. And, and so I felt like it was that that was like one facet, like of my life though, like, and it was, that was it. And then, um, uh, I got through college, I kind of got dis- dis- disenchanted with acting and uh, went to New York. And um, there was a show that was running at the Darawa Theater that was called De La Guarda. Um, ran for, I don't know, maybe like four or five years, but it was so transformative for me because it was a show that um, uh, there was no words and you as audience member, uh, there's no seating. So you just walked in from 
the outside, you're kind of held in the lobby space. You all file in and it felt like the ceiling was really low. And then you just started hearing music. And then all of a sudden it's like stuff starts happening on the ceiling above you. And then like all of a sudden, like people are falling through the sky and then somebody gets taken up from out of the, uh, out of the audience. And then that whole ceiling rips apart and you're in like this giant warehouse space and they just shift you based on where the scenes are happening uh, through, like, the actors going up. And so, like, it was so crazy to me that that, something like that existed. And it was so visceral. And it was all done through music and just, like, being in the moment with a group of people that you didn't know. But you were all doing the same thing and moving together and breathing together and being together that um, I had no idea that theater could exist like that. Um, you know, coming from something where it's like, you know, you do like steel magnolias on stage and then like, you know, it was like, I, I was done with that. But mm-hmm. like seeing this like changed my life. Mm-hmm. And then to actually um, uh, a couple of years later, um, actually at the same museum at Brooklyn Art Museum, um, uh, there was a mm-hmm. Kara Walker exhibit. Mm-hmm. And so I had this moment of like, I felt like the three things kind of converged for me at one time of like, oh my God, there's like this, all of this can exist in one one artistic form uh, in terms of like her shadow puppetry, plus like you all moving together as a, as a, as a movement and just heard the scale of the work that she does. Um, and I think all three of those things has really influenced the way that I view art and uh, shaping like that, um, the thought process of like art doesn't have to fit into one particular mold or answering the question of like, why does it have to be done that way? And always having that, like it can be done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that piece, that impetus of me of always questioning and it, the questioning doesn't come from a negative space. It just comes from a like, well, but it does that make the most sense or like why is that or like and and uh that piece of me is something that like i'm i'm happy that i have like i'm happy that i haven't lost um mm-hmm. and i just like thinking back to like those three things um uh they influence that for me of like that cuz for all of those i had never experienced anything that was like quite like any of those mm-hmm. so they were all for me like the kind of first to do that and so there must have been a lot of questioning to be like why it's so cool because both of your answers go back to I think one of the most beautiful parts of being a human being it's it's innocent curiosity yeah the joy yeah. in learning the joy in being together and exploring what this freaking life is what it is yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, Eric, do you have any final question about Portland? I mean, for heaven's sake, I think you should be running out here now. I mean, Keisha's like, I'm, I'm like, I love Portland. It's so much more than I liked it when I started this morning. Yeah, and I'm buying my ticket tomorrow. Perfect. Yeah, good. Come. We're uh, ready. We'll take you out. Way. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much uh, for this calling. This great. Thank you so much for uh, for giving me the opportunity to ask those questions and just kind of share your your positions and perspectives. Um, um, but it's been really helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah. Super fun. I know we'll do it again. Definitely. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to Adventures in Artslandia. Download the Artslandia app on iTunes, where you're going to find a comprehensive arts calendar that's the best in the West. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Artslandia.